Hello and welcome back to the Yoga After Dark podcast with your host, Michael. Thank you so much, dear listener, for tuning in when we have these lovely episodes. I like to think of you as someone who's sitting in some sort of lovely breakfast nook, sipping a cup of tea. But you're probably someone who's out in the back of some fast food joint smoking a cigarette next to the dumpster. That's okay. Everyone is welcome to listen to this podcast. Today, I'm very excited because I have my friend Ian on the line. And Ian is in Panama. And so you all know, I've known Ian for a little while and I was thinking about it the other day. Um, I was in Ian's parents' house in Panama City when Donald Trump accepted the nomination of the Republican Party. And we have come so very far since then. I'm not exactly sure in which direction we've gone, up, down, sideways, or the other, but we've certainly um, transformed. And Ian is here, and he is a transformational life coach. And I met him when he was um, in the Ashtanga yoga circles, which he may still be, I'm not sure. So we're just going to um, say hi to him and see where he is. How are you, Ian? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. That was a badass intro. Well, I thank you. I don't, I don't have any <laughs> fancy music or anything like that because I'm just too damn lazy for things like that. So I, I have to, you know, make up something each time to keep people entertained or they just hit the stop button on their iPhone and, you know, continue yeah. on. I was um, engaged for sure. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's short attention spans. I blame it on the TikTok, which yeah. I refuse to participate in. I'm, it's just not for me. <laughs> so, so tell me, Ian, um, transformational life coach, what the hell does that mean? And how did you get there? Last time I saw you, you were hosting or helping a retreat center in Panama host retreats. The reason I was there was because I was hosting a retreat there. Um, and you do that quite well. So how did you get from that to, uh, to what you are now? Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's been uh, a lot of changes, a lot of, I guess, inner transformation, um, which I think is what eventually makes you become or come into this type of position where you're facilitating that type of process for other people and transformations can be, can, can call for so many different things, depending on what type of transformation is needed, what type of process people are going through um, that they need to transform. Um, but I guess to answer your question, uh, I was, teaching yoga, hosting retreats, it's still something that I want to do. It's an intention that I have in this place that I'm working in right now because it's lent itself for an amazing retreat experience. Um, hopefully you return. Who knows? <laughs> I, would I would love to. It's, it's beautiful down there. Yeah, it's a, it's a great place. Very, uh, yeah, very close to nature. There's like alligators in a pond here. Um, sometimes they swim in the beach. Uh, but uh, essentially, it's it stems off from writing a book. So when so when I hosted you there at uh, La Buena Vida, it was called. 
I was managing the hotel, hosting retreats, but also writing a book. I was working little by little on a manuscript um, in English. And about two and a half years later, I finished that book. But then I kind of just put it off to the side. Um, just kind of wanting to play like the humble part, like, uh, I don't really care if anybody reads this. I don't want to promote it. I don't like not really owning it. Right. Like I wrote the book, I published it, but it's like, ah, I don't really mind, you know, like, I don't care what happens with it. And I found myself in a situation where, uh, my life needed a change. I didn't, I didn't, um, I was going to go back to Panama City and I said, I, I got to find something to do for me, like independently. So I started seeing like, okay, so how do I make a living uh, being an author, like writing and publishing a book? So I just started diving into that. And then that took me into the wormhole of like communicating your message and getting known for the message. And instead of selling a book, you're kind of selling yourself as uh, somebody who is talking about the things all right who is kind of extending the interest of the topics that are talked about in this book so um i mean kind of like what this podcast is that's also why i started the the phoenix podcast like you want you want like listening at home is phoenix with an f f e n i x yeah and a tilde and a tilde yeah. in the E. And a tilde um, in the E. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was the pod, what, what, what the podcast was all about. Just uh, at the end of the day, and this is something that I was also being inspired by from other authors that I enjoyed. Hearing them talk, hearing them talk with some other author or some other person who shares similar interests so that kind of got me into this whole cyber world of internet marketing and all of that which is a universe in and of itself with its own dark areas um but really diving into that and realizing that i guess the only way i could formalize uh, what i wanted to do which because the book the book that I published talks about addiction, talks about self-inquiry, talks about love, talks about sexuality, psychedelics, all these topics that I was really interested in. And, um, and I felt like I wanted to facilitate processes for other people wanting to understand more about that and essentially wanting to understand more about themselves. So... So enter, you know, coincidence, I've been, you know, doing the Ashtanga thing for eight years, which is a, an amazing vehicle for inner exploration and self-inquiry and all these things. So I had all this kind of practice, you could say, under my belt and experience of doing this, um, along with all the other stuff that I was, all the other explorations, right? the psychedelics, the sexuality, all these things that are like pathways into your essence, into your spirituality, into, you know, what, what you're supposed or what you, um, where the universe guides you in this life. Right. Um, 
you can call it dharma, you know, you can call it many ways. Um, but the only way I could kind of formalize that was getting into coaching. So I took this course, a really basic, it really um, wasn't so like in depth or anything. Um, and then I ended up taking a bunch of courses because I felt like I wanted to go deeper and understand more and all this stuff. And that's how I kind of got into the whole darker areas of email marketing, right? And kind of what do they call it? Multi-level marketing, you know, schemes that there's a lot of that in the coaching world and they're not inherently, you know, bad or trying to screw people over, but it is a there there are many mechanisms that are just designed to make you like consume right and maybe like chase a fantasy that that the spiritual paradigm can also get into like you know how it becomes paradoxical like how deep do i want to go how deep can i get you know until like just i have to like face reality right like we can really uh use idealizations um, to escape our current situations or, 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 or create stories, you know. Um, so that's, you know, a little, a little bit on the whole coaching, multi-level marketing, that kind of section. And now I realize, you know what, I don't want to make that my only source of income. I don't want to depend on marketing myself to make money right and so then it's just uncomfortable yeah and it's specifically like yeah like yeah uh, <laughs> i mean you, you know how it is but i feel like some people are amazing at it and it comes very naturally to them right mm -hmm. um like in your case i feel like you really rock it you know and a lot of other people like henry wins um, oh, Henry. Yeah, I've known Henry for years and years. Yeah, he's also been a big inspiration. And hearing his podcast, I, I remember hearing his podcast traveling from like Goa to Tiruvannamalai. The last time I was in India, like, uh, yeah, a big inspiration. And Did you people, hear me on his podcast? I heard you on his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's market me, Ian. Let's talk about marketing <laughs> me again. Let's bring it back. <laughs> yeah, I heard I heard your uh, uh, appearance on his podcast while I was here in Santa Catalina years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so if, there might have been some inspiration from that in, in the book while I was writing it. Um, but yeah, some people are amazing at it and can really find a good balance. Um, it, but for me, it got to the point where I was finding it hard to sustain. Maybe I was being a little too ambitious myself on, on what I wanted to, you know, publish and, and, and how much I wanted to publish, like how much work I was putting on myself. Cause it was, it was the IGTV. It was YouTube videos. It was the podcast. It was like getting to really consume me in the sense that I would see how I couldn't, take any time off at all every moment every waking moment i was thinking about it sometimes not being able to sleep just ideas what to promote what to promote and then this opportunity 
came about, I was offered, you know, a, a, a position here managing this hotel far from the city, you know, after being for months just in an apartment and um, just so into the computer world, right? Um, I got offered this. And one of the first things I did when I came here was like, pick up a, a shovel and start like planting, planting stuff. Cause I was, that's what was needed of me at the moment. And it was like, Whoa, like this feels so right right now. So, so essentially now, um, this is kind of my source of income, this position that I have. And then anything that is related to coaching and helping or facilitating processes for other people, um, or mentoring or counseling or however you want to call it, um, is extra, is extra for me. Um, and that's, that's how I feel good right now. Great. Great. It's, it's interesting that you say the first thing you did is pick up a shovel because, you know, I have a garden out back in my, in my apartment in Queens, which is a, a rarity in New York city. We don't usually get outdoor space, but I have that. Um, and uh, towards, you know, toward the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I think in May, I made the decision to move one of the garden beds to a different location in the garden. Um, and so I spent an afternoon just shoveling a pile of dirt from one place to another. Isn't that like... It was... <laughs> beautiful like i i think i may have actually teared up i had such joy just doing that because i hadn't really been outside of my house hardly at all i had hardly seen people i wasn't in communication very well with people except through a screen and to just get out and work with my body in a way that i don't usually work with it and to have that you know have the the light and the smells and the sounds and the feeling of the sun on your skin and all of that other i mean it it was like a, a liberative experience you know i probably if i had if I was cognizant of it, I might have been able to, you know, reach Samadhi at that point, but I'm just not that good yet. So I kind of dropped back down back into the shit and here I am. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was there. It was real close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So what tell me, um, you know, when you you touched on a little interesting thing and in, in, as you were just talking uh, about, you know, these multi-level marketing schemes and all this kind of marketing over the internet and how it has to do with coaching and getting people to, um, you know, excel in some way or to improve themselves in some way. And we do the same thing in the yoga world, of course, you know, part of our shtick is telling people, oh, well, you can do better. Like you can, you can become a better person. You can be a better you, blah, blah, blah. So I guess we do have to be careful that we're not just telling people that they're lacking something because I mean, no one is actually lacking anything. We're just, you know, looking to um, awaken to our, our own nature, I guess. So how do we, how do we get away from like, this more, I guess, uh, capitalistic message of like, 
you don't you don't have something and I can give it to you for a price mm -hmm. instead of maybe how do we work together to make to make both of us improved human beings and and everybody else around us improved human beings but also I would still like some money because I need to pay rent you know mm -hmm. type of deal. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely absolutely and it's it's interesting that that uh, I, I feel like I want to like quote Sharat um, on the first and ever time that I studied with him. He talked about like, you know, do, do your practice, go through your process and focus on that for a long, long time. And people will start to pick up on what's happening with you and see the changes that are going, that you're going through. And say, hey, how did you do it? I want to learn from you. And then you teach that person just whatever from what you know, from your own experience and how it applies to them. And and then maybe that person tells another person and it just, that's that's how it is. That's it. And that made so much sense to me because back then I was managing this uh, yoga studio that you also visited, Transcendence Yoga, and I was... Yeah so submerged in marketing and you know trying to build that business and really marketing oriented like kind of pushing it like right trying to get people to come get people to come and that's what i think is the big difference like when you don't need the people um, uh, so desperately and it's they're that they're they're kind of gravitating towards you because of how you're magnetized, right? What, how you, how you, the energy that you're putting out, right? Um, I feel like that's the big difference. When, when somebody will come to you because they have anxiety, right? Or if they have depression, they'll usually come to you with a problem. Um, it, it, instead of us creating a problem for them, right? Because mm -hmm. that's what I feel like happens. Like when I'm like scrolling through Instagram, I'll see like uh, one of those ads for like a coaching thing. Like immediately they're trying to convince me that like my life is not as optimal as it should be. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> like, <laughs> like immediately. But you know, um, like people, like your example, um, you've built this reputation for so many years and you've been so committed to your path and to your process that, people gravitate towards you and so your marketing efforts are not so uh, extreme you can say right um i, I would call them very low uh i have very low marketing effort <laughs> you kind of you kind of just post what you like you know? yeah basically and whoever, and whoever likes it likes it you know like but in my case, I was feeling like I was reading the statistics, seeing the data, like, oh, man, they didn't like this. So I should talk about some other thing. Like, everything was, um, and yeah, like, you know, I was um, trying to build this reputation where um, I guess, you know, the whole authorization thing, like for a long time, I was wanting the authorization thing and and feeling like that would give me the credibility at the end of the day it's not the authorization it's 
It's just your commitment to the process and to your path. Um, um, so, but I guess I say that to say that um, I didn't have like the credentials, right? So I was super like seeing how the hell I could earn money with the knowledge and the experience that I had and having written a book and seeing what spin, you know, like, like my own public relations person. And I was, and it was just getting very paradoxical and just like, for me being offered a, a, a position where like I can work for what I need to work. And then after that, I can just like chill here and get sun and cook something like where I'm not, busting my balls on like how I'm gonna make my next post like you know like putting so much effort into that um and I kind of went off the rails there but I think in the beginning after you asked the question that's that's what I feel the answer is like what you're magnetizing and how much you're like trying to get and convince you know it's like the push and a pull thing it kind of, I think it goes back to Aparigraha, the, the last of the yamas, the, you know, no grasping, no mm -hmm. reaching out and trying to take something that you frankly just don't need or you don't, um, or even you're not qualified for, you know. Yeah. I, think I, I, I think I see that, or I don't see it right now because I don't really see people, but, you know, I used to see that a lot in the yoga world was this kind of reaching out to access people that, um, you know, the person in question really had no business accessing because they're not qualified to teach that type of person, you know, for whatever reason it is. But you would still see that because there's, it's like there's this drive for some sort of financial success and also some sort of fame, some sort of notoriety that goes along with, uh, with, I don't know, being a yoga teacher in a big metropolitan area. I, I, I mean, I'm certainly, um, I, I know I've had, you know, moments in, in my teaching career where I've, you know, thought to myself, well, why, why don't I have more students? You know, why am I not this, you know, packed, crazy, sweaty room, you know, every single day? Why aren't people like waiting at the door to come practice with me or whatever? And then, you know, and of course I have had packed sweaty rooms where people are waiting outside the door to practice with me as well. But um, in the end, like I can, I, I don't, I don't actually want that, but there's something with being um, in, in this city that I'm in and in the places in the world that I go and also being hooked into all the online everything mm. that tells me I'm supposed to want that, that, mm -hmm. that should be my idea of success, that, you know, I should always want more students and more students and I, you know, I should want to be busy, busy, busy and kind of running around the room like a chicken with my head cut off. But that's um, actually completely unnecessary and detrimental to my own personal health. <laughs> so I'm not sure how they, I'm not sure how they managed to convince me of that. Do, do you have an idea of how that occurs? 
Yeah, well, I, the the money and the and the notoriety thing. Sometimes you know, especially for somebody who's really indoctrinated in the in the social media world, which I would consider you know myself to be like, a, maybe not as much as somebody who's like sixteen years old right now might have had a cell phone like since they were two or something or a smartphone mm -hmm. um, but definitely the indoctrination is there and it's just an extension of other forms of of marketing um, but for people who are really in that world and the fame and the money kind of have to go hand in hand like you feel like if you want to make money you have to be famous right like that, that's the only way there is no like middle point like you have to like people have to talk about you and you have to get you know this big momentum going and once you go viral then you won't have to worry about debts for the rest of your life or you know whatever the the ultimate comfort of i don't know human human existence not worrying about debts mm. <laughs> <laughs> um so, and I mean, just growing up with, with, with Hollywood and with pop culture and MTV and all these things, there, there's always this, you know, we see the rock stars, we see the celebrities and somehow idealize their life and think that, you know, that's what being rich is about where there are so many people that might have a lot, a lot of money who live very simple lives and not necessarily like in this running around the room with their head cut off like a chicken, like you mentioned. Um, and so I guess we, in my case, I had to hit that extreme which is really kind of like a topic um, of my book as well. Like with every type of addiction, you have to hit an extreme to then realize what it is that you want or how far you want it. You want to go with it, right? So this this grasping and this wanting for this vision or this celebrity status, etc. Um, if if you were meant for that it'll happen right um but but i think if you're really forcing it you eventually burn out and that's definitely what i felt um i got burnt out of the of the trying of the trying and of the um yeah, like the marketing and the promoting and the and the needing to get people, but I didn't burn out in the process of actually helping somebody, of actually sitting down and having a, a session, like a coaching session. Um, for a long time, I used to think coaching was kind of bullshit, um, but after I started doing it. Uh, and seeing and you know because at the end of the day you're kind of doing your own thing you, you, you take courses but at the end of the day you are you I am you know I have my own personality 
And if you decide to, to do this type of thing, your personality is going to shine through and all the stuff we talked about previously, like what your path has been and what your exploration has been, what your journey and your story, et cetera, kind of crashing into this moment with this other person who is wanting to pull from your experience. It's kind of, it's like a miser room. It's like, it, it, it feels very seamless and very synchronistic and meant to be in theirs. So definitely I didn't, burn out on that or like lose faith in that or lose faith in yoga or in any of that stuff but mostly in the needing to become a celebrity or something like yeah for me it was hard to draw that line like i felt like i needed to be uh, some type of celebrity figure to make money and um yeah i, I guess i still have to learn that lesson and what i'm doing right now is probably a part of that process like kind of the universe gave me this solid income source where i have to work my ass off when i have to but other than that i have some free time that i can dedicate and manage and continue to do my coaching and and, and then kind of gauge the level of effort that i'm that i'm exerting onto this it's like life itself made me take a time out because i was maybe getting in over my head mm -hmm. uh, and uh and now i can see like okay this is how much time i want to dedicate to this and i actually and it's been cool because now i have less clients but it's all word of mouth it's like I, i'm not even posting isn't, anymore isn't that the most beautiful thing i mean when <laughs> When I, you know, <clears throat> stopped having to, or stopped um, feeling like I needed to, you know, kind of reach out to get students somehow, and mm -hmm. I could just, you know, put the website up, put the Instagram up, and then they would come because they would hear about me from someone else. And then they, all I had to do was have the information there easily accessible, you know? Um, that was a really beautiful thing because then people come in and, and actually I've acquired, you know, I've acquired new students during the pandemic, which I've never met them in person. I only know them through a screen. Some of them, I don't even know where they are in the world. Actually, I, I, I'm not sure where they exist. Uh, all, they just exist in my computer, <laughs> um, but they, you know, they've heard about me from someone somehow, blah, 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 down the line. And it, give, it gives you a, an immediate connection and it gives you an immediate, um, there's like a little, a little bonding of trust there that you don't have if it's coming through a purely advertised nature. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a human bond that exists, yeah. which is really nice. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I'm going to do an, a very abrupt, I guess, topic change. Okay. But for some reason, it came to my mind, like, when you invited me on the podcast. Um, and lately, I've been thinking about male pelvic, uh, pelvic floor pain. Male pelvic floor pain. Hmm. Have you ever heard of that? 
Um, no. I have never dealt with male pelvic floor pain. No, male pelvic floor pain. Um, it comes to my mind because we, uh, in the Ashtanga world, uh, talk about Mulavanda, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this notion of kind of tightening the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe developing a strong pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and for males, and I'm not sure, you know, what percentage of males, like having a, um, a very strong pelvic floor can be, can cause like problems, you know, like, like pain, pain with urination, pain with ejaculation, pain with sexual arousal, um, with uh, excreting, all of the related stuff that go in the pelvis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been looking into this subject because some of the stuff that I, I guess some of the stuff that really was working for me when I was, uh, when I was doing the coaching thing and doing a lot of podcasts and just putting information out there. One thing that really got the ball rolling was when I talked about sexuality, mm-hmm. right? Like conscious sexuality. I was doing like very basic, like tantric sex workshops, mm-hmm. which were all like just PowerPoint, you know, presentations, or just kind of talking about certain things. And so that, I guess when you ask me about like what I do and how I can somehow blend this meeting um, on something that we could both exchange on, mm-hmm. it, it came to my mind maybe this topic of the, of the sexuality, right? And maybe like the topic of brahmacharya, right? And which is like super... Uh, sensitive, right? But I'm, so when I teach, um, you know, the yoga sutras to people, and we get to brahmacharya, I usually refer to brahmacharya as the most widely translated word in the Sanskrit language. Um, Because it, you know, the translations of the word brahmacharya, if you just look it up, on the interwebs, you will see go from strict celibacy to, you know, some sort of sexual respect for your partner slash partners. And it, you know, it really is a very wide breath. And then, and then there are actually some people that translate it and kind of leave the word sex out of it completely. Like they, they manage to like, walk around the issue and it's all about like energy patterning or like respectful energy exchange or something and you know when i learned about brahmacharya it was very simple brahmacharya meant strict celibacy and we're done you know moving on and then of course uh there was a much larger explanation about indian culture the traditional ashrama culture in india when you're a brahmachari 
when you're a householder, when you're older, when you're a sannyasi, you know, all of that stuff and kind of the different things. And then when I was, you know, studying with my philosophy teacher in India, she, I mean, she, she's hilarious because you're like sitting there with, with Jayashree who at the time, I'm not sure how old she was at the time, you know, but of course she's a married woman and has children and everything. And, and she'll sit there and, and, and go, you know, and the man and the woman may enjoy each other at certain times of the month, but not at other certain times of the month. And she kind of like got this glint in her eye and I was like, oh Lord, I am about to have the sex talk from this Indian granny that I'm going to get a sex talk from this Indian granny right now. That's what's going to happen, you know? And that, that became very uncomfortable for me, <laughs> but it happened because you know, in India, they don't really care about your comfort level. They're just going to tell you what's happening to you. <laughs> um, so I always, yeah, I've always found like the whole brahmacharya issue really interesting because it doesn't, Westerners don't, like to talk about it very much honestly mm -hmm. and they like to weasel their way around it as far as I've con I'm concerned yeah um when I when I teach about it what I've settled on for now and this may change later but what I've settled on for now is if you can tick the boxes of the three yamas before brahmacharya, then you can basically do whatever you want. So if you can tick the box of ahimsa, this is not harming the other people involved or myself. If you can tick the box of satya, I'm being truthful to the other people involved and myself. And if you can tick the box of asteya, I am not stealing materially or energetically from the other people involved or myself, then you can do whatever you want with brahmacharya if you get those three. So how do you think, does that work for you? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And it's, and it's amazing that you put it that way. Um, for me, the brahmacharya thing became such an exploration and such a big deal because, and I talk about this in the book, I talk very openly about this, like for many, many years, I was seeing pornography, masturbating, kind of like every day, right? It just became this habit. And and and, um, and then I, that, that kind of eventually led to paying for sex, you know, here, in, I don't know how it is there in New York, but here in Panama, if you have the money and you're overage, you can easily pay for sex if you know where to go. Um, so brahmacharya for me was like, whoa, I'm doing this yoga thing and I have to learn how to do something about this sexual energy, right? Mm -hmm. um, because it was it was um, affecting my relationships, right? Like my ability or my capacity to relate to, a, in my case, an, a female figure that I wanted to establish a loving relationship with. Um, and even in the sexuality department, you know, 
it's different for, for men, but in my case, from watching so much porn and masturbating so frequently, I became ultra sensitive. So it was hard for me to like um, last long, right? With, mm -hmm. In a sexual encounter. So that got me into the whole, okay, how do I last longer? And then Tantra, Tantric sex, or whatever we know uh, as Tantric sex, um, and and Taoism and and all these philosophies talk about sexuality and how you how you can engage and how you can connect and how it can become very spiritual and you know you, the most grossest sense you hear about sting that lasts that can be have sex with his partner for hours or for uh, for an entire day and idealizing right so it became a big exploration like how do i go from this extreme where i last very little and i'm kind of like obsessed with sex to it being a very spiritual thing where i'm where like the desire isn't the thing that's driving it but it's more more of a loving thing a place of fulfillment and so um that got me into a whole realm of semen retention have you have you heard of that i have heard of semen retention yes right which which some people some men can 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 interpret as brahmacharya you know maybe in a way um, maybe um my here's my issue mm -hmm. one of my issues there's many issues with, that. with generic semen retention uh, and equating it to brahmacharya mm -hmm. is brahmacharya is not only external it should also be internal and so you are not only let's let's just translate brahmacharya as celibate right now for yeah. simplicity's sake you are not only celibate externally you know so you're not actually taking a sexual partner but you are also celibate internally so your thought process should not even go in that direction when we talk about semen retention, I often think that we're actually putting a highlight on the process. And if you put a highlight on the process, then you are, it's, it's no longer a brahmacharya process because you're not leaving off the uh the urge right urge is still there you're just um holding it back i mm -hmm. guess yeah. which to me um i think that if there there are reasons to do that you know certainly if you are having issues with uh you know possible erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation these type of things it would make sense to me that you would be looking possibly at a, a semen retaining practice in order to combat that, you know, if you want to do it in kind of a holistic way without taking um, prescriptions, and stuff like that. Um, 
as far as the yoga process is concerned, um, the yoga process being a, a getting rid of desire process, I don't know if I can fully support it in, in that way, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and I, I totally agree with that. And this, the, you know, this, the same kind of pattern happens. This is, this is, I guess, very typical of my experience is going to an extreme mm -hmm. and then realizing that not necessarily you have to go there. And uh, I'll share. You don't have to go that far, Ian. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, so I went off, you know, went to the other end and ended up, you know, I would, I would, you know, semen retention at the moment for me meant like, okay, no ejaculating, mm -hmm. like no ejaculating. And as, as is normal, after some time, you'll, you might experience some discomfort, what is known as like blue balls, right? Um Mm -hmm. For yeah, some I mean, men, it might be that, but that, and that's the, that's the whole crux of the issue is that you're uh -huh. you're retaining, but only physically, exactly, because you're still getting those what are very natural urges, and so the body is preparing itself to ejaculate, to do what it is meant to do, um, and then you say nah, and then it gets pissed, like not. <laughs> No, I'm on a I'm on a spiritual path. I can't <laughs> you know, you're still yeah. in the corpus. You're still in the the blood, the shit, the meat, the bone, and and this and the the semen. So it you know it's a it's a very physical process at that point, um, which is why I think it has to be definitely has to be tackled at more of a a mental emotional level than simply a physical retention or you are going to get those complications and no one no I one wants to feel that that's a, it's a shitty feeling man i mean that's that's not <laughs> absolutely <laughs> no and and, uh, and i'll share I'll, I'll share about my experience because a um these types of topics tend to gain a lot of traction and b like you mentioned it's not something that men are talking about, right? It's not mm -hmm. super like. Uh, so, can can I butt in actually? Because I I yeah, talk sure, about sure. this I talk about this all the time, um, but only with straight men. Okay. Gay men don't seem to have an interest in talking about it, but straight men for some reason feel a need to come and confide in me, and then we have long conversations about it. So here we go. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, I ended up practicing that with my, with my partner, with uh, my partner at the moment, we've been together uh, just a little bit over a year. It's a, it's a pretty new relationship. And, but you know, we got the lockdown, so I was there and I was talking about these things that I was passionate about. Yeah, like 
transmuting the sexual energy that's something that you hear a lot about right transmuting it um um alchemizing right the sexual there's a lot of this that you hear also from the hatha yoga um about you know the chakras and how you move the energy um so i was really interested in all these topics you know thinking that um By knowing the the theory, right? Theoretically, how it how how everything happens, you inherently could put it into practice. Um, and what would happen for me is I would just end up forcefully not ejaculating, like forcefully not ejaculating. And a part of you know the benefits of that, you could say is there is this whole physiological process that a guy goes through after ejaculating where he, in theory, loses some of his attraction to his partner. It's kind of like by, at a biological and genetic standpoint, it's kind of like my work here is done, right? Yeah, and um, you gain attraction so, to sleeping and pizza. Yes, I, under, I fully exactly. understand, fully. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, so there was all this attraction and all this chemistry, but never ejaculating, right? And, force it, and just forcefully holding it in. And eventually, it led to me having some difficulties urinating, right? From tensing the pelvic floor so much. At, and, 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 and at a very unnatural way, right? Because mm, mm -hmm. if you are at the point where you're going to ejaculate, like, and some Taoist texts will talk about this, like, you know, tightening and, 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 and tightening the pelvic floor and doing all these exercises to make it this muscle really strong where you can withhold your semen, right? Like, it's all about that. And, um, so it did lead to like difficulties, like urinating and, and feeling a lot of stress in my prostate. And I ended up going to a urologist and she diagnosed me with prostatitis, but it ended up not being that. Um, you were just because there's really, out. <laughs> because there's really, there's really no infection. It's just, <laughs> so I guess that's what, has led me to male a pelvic floor tension mm. that's that's what has led me down to to be interested in that topic right now mm -hmm. um and i feel like there's there's many things within that narrative or many topics within that narrative that men different men can relate to in their own ways you know maybe they're still in, they're, they're in the porn addiction phase or in the sex addiction maybe they're in the addicted to spirituality now now i'm going to go off to the other extreme and be non-sexual or at least convince myself that i'm not sexual mm -hmm. because i'm now i'm spiritual and then maybe now it, there's they're looking for some kind of middle ground between those two um and it's interesting because a lot of the the, the the physical therapy involved in relieving 
this tension does have to do with like massaging and i've even heard of like prostate massages and 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 things like that for but for me as as you know a straight guy i've experimented a little bit with my prostate i feel like i'm pretty comfortable exploring that side of myself but i don't really feel like i might be doing it right you know or or like what that's supposed to feel like like whereas in your case oh you think i know a lot more about this you do i would that's (laughs) (laughs) this this is entrapment my friend this is what this is this is what this is (laughs) yeah i probably do know a lot more about that than you do um but (laughs) i mean we're all different yeah mm-hmm. and so different things are going to feel different on all of us i think i think the important thing is that you you need to feel safe while safe and comfortable you know while doing any type of experimentation that's necessary i mean that should hopefully you know happen in um in many settings, including, you know, a yoga setting, you should feel relatively safe and relatively comfortable. I mean, if someone's bending you into kapotasana, you're not going to feel super comfortable, but you should at least feel relatively safe, you know? Mm-hmm. Same thing if you want to explore your prostate, you need to feel relatively safe whilst doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if that is there, that you'll make progress, just like if in your the yoga studio, if you feel you know, pretty safe, you're going to end up making progress. If you're walking into a space and you don't feel good about it, you know, if you if you immediately tense up, if you get tension just from being in a space or with a particular person um, or even doing a particular thing, that's not going to work out for you. Like you're, you're hitting your head against a wall. And so you simply just need to go in a different direction. You know, if you're, if you're going down the, uh, the current of a river and there is a giant boulder in your way, it is better to just paddle around than it is to try to go through because you're just going to smash into it. Yes. Yeah. This makes sense. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, it sounds like you definitely you you uh, you like to to ride the uh, roller coaster. You know, you like the highs and you like the lows, and so we're trying. You're trying to get to a point um, where you can be a bit more even keeled with things, right? Yeah. Um, and that then that whole thing becomes very. Uh, paradoxical the whole the whole um where do i find the middle ground with my partner in regarding to sexuality right mm-hmm. and um so like it was funny because once the urologist told me i had or diagnosed me with prostatitis she's like okay part of your treatment is going to be you have to ejaculate every day for the next two and a half weeks 
which oh, ended up that ruined your plans. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Let's try it because definitely it was like tension, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then I got a whole new experience of relating with my partner sexually, right? Because mm-hmm. before it was non-ejaculatory sex, mm-hmm. and now it's ejaculatory sex. So we got a different taste of what, you know, of what the sexual experience is in that way. And now we're like finding a balance, right? Um, so, yeah, in, 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 in essence, um, the exploration continues. Um, we're both very like, sexually oriented i don't know if it's an astro an astrology thing or how old are you ian me yeah 31 okay yeah fine good that's good you you should be that way very nice yeah (laughs) congratulations and the the balance of like how far down that way do we want to go to as like how far do we want to still keep it right mm-hmm. and, and and it ends up being this this story about the extremes right either complete you know sacred tenderness um non-ejaculatory whereas the other extreme is like super passionate desireful um and i think a good way to like close that circle is what you the, the piece you said about um now it just escaped my mind uh, <laughs> you said a very interesting um piece um but yeah now it completely escaped my mind what was it about (laughs) it was about the extremes it was about the extremes um and kind of finding some uh, middle ground i'm sure it's gonna come back and like no when i was talking about your roller coaster ride that you enjoy that one yeah um yeah but there was another key thing that i guess when we listen back (laughs) <laughs> you'll figure it out and we can yeah. tell everyone then <laughs> we can have a we can have a little like four minute episode after this and just tack it on <laughs> exactly exactly you know the the extremes um i run i run into this a lot um the extremes because people are or i find that people are really interested currently in like unearthing all these old texts you know from the middle ages down to you know 100 200 ad you know so kind of like yoga sutra area up through when we're starting to get the hatha yoga pradipika and a bunch of the tantras are are written you know and people are really interested in like getting access to these now and reading them Um, and all, well, not all, but many of those texts 
list very extreme practices, you know? And then I swear people stop reading like right before there's the big giant warning at the end of the chapter that says, don't do this without a teacher. You know, it's, you know, it's like, and you'll, you'll die and be reincarnated as an anaconda or something like that. You know, you know, big giant warning. Um, and, or, or they just don't care. I don't know. But I think that a lot of these practices are described in the extreme and they're not meant to be done that way for 99.5% of the population. Um, and they're only meant to be done by, that way by, you know, in very specific, specific circumstances. And when you're talking about the tantras themselves, those texts are, are inherently misleading. They are supposed to be misleading to keep the knowledge secret because you're not supposed to even have access to it without a teacher. And so a lot of them are written in metaphor and they're, they're not meant to be done in the way it is described, you know, or certainly physically not the way it is described. And so I do see a, um, a problem, I guess, with um, the Western obsession with learning from books and having access to all information at all times. We really like to be able to Google something, you know, mm -hmm. we really like to be able to dive into a YouTube black hole and find like what all these people have posted videos about this, this thing and, and educate ourselves in, in this way. I have been now, <clears throat> you know, kind of studying in the Indian tradition, if you will, for what, over 15 years. So I'm used to being with one teacher for a long time and I pay attention to what they say and even if it doesn't make sense at the time I can ask about it later we can reference back to it and I try to when I have access to a teacher you know I really try to separate myself a little bit out from information on the periphery I kind of withdraw myself a little bit from it because I don't, I don't want to get confused with what I'm being told until I've digested it, you know, and then I can go about my way looking through other stuff. You know, for instance, right now I've been taking Jyotish for about a year at this point. Jyotish is the Indian version of astrology, right? So I have my Jyotish teacher and I see her every week. And so she's teaching me as her teacher taught her, as his teacher taught him. And that's the, the Indian way of doing things. Now, astrology is, I mean, everywhere. You type in anything on the internet and you are just gonna get hit after hit after hit and you can spend weeks going through the stuff. And so I, I do make an effort to divorce myself from that type of inquisitive process 
when I'm in a specific learning tradition. Because I think that that learning tradition is incredibly valuable. Um, it, it gives you, as we were talking about earlier, that human bond and that communication. It's the same thing when you're doing your, your coaching. You get that back and forth. You really get that, that communication going and you learn at a deeper level if you allow yourself to. But if you continue to um, open the floodgates with everything that you can access, very easy thing to do in the pandemic when you have time on your hands and you're sitting at home, then, then confusion, I think, is bound to happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And <laughs> yeah, that, that, that really ties into it. Um, and it, and it circles back to what we were talking about, the multi-level marketing stuff mm. and, and about the stuff that we talked in the beginning about trying to get people, right. Trying to get people to purchase your product basically. Yeah. Like when you, when you go on these YouTube wormholes and these things, it's like, you know, in, in probably five minutes looking up any subject, you'll run into an online course about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so there is, there is a, a, it is very difficult. I th and I think what this whole pandemic has also caused is that now it's harder to find reliable sources. You know, I think it's been hard. I think it's been hard to find reliable sources for a while. For sure. No, it's a. Uh, it's. But now it's like now, there is everything became online, right? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it, I feel like you're you built your reputation um to the point where a you you're not having to promote yourself you're getting these connections uh, from word of mouth um and uh you're a reliable source at least from what i consider yeah uh, the, i mean <laughs> Good luck, my friend. <laughs> if you, if I'm your reliable source, woo. Okay. <laughs> um, but but yeah, uh, many topics here: confusion, um, prostates, multi-level marketing, coaching. <laughs> we covered a lot of grounds. Some yoga touched some on yoga. Some, touched on a touch of yoga. <laughs> <laughs> oh well you know what i one thing i've always admired about you is that you you continue on a forward trajectory you know you you're a seeker you do that and um and you don't need anyone to encourage you to do it you you do it on your own which is a very admirable quality
sometimes I need a little swift kick in the butt, you know, um, or else I'll just stagnate. But you seem to just keep going and keep going. And whether, you know, whether you're on the high or the low end of things at the moment, like you still are trudging through it. Um, so I personally think that, you know, you're going to be fine in all of this stuff. And you obviously, you know, you have been able to, and maybe, you know, let's blame some of this on the yoga, just, you know, because I would like to do that. Um, but you have built enough self-reflective quality that you know when things are going downhill, you know, that you know when, oops, the pendulum has swung it too far in, in one direction. And, and honestly, I think that's a huge part of having a spiritual practice is building self-reflection so that you, so that you get that, that gut reaction when you're like, oh, oh, oh no, going, going the wrong way. I really need to reassess, you know, because people are people and, um, you know, people are people and gurus are gurus and teachers are teachers and they all, uh, they all have their great qualities and they all disappoint as well because we're all in this um, samsara together. So if you, you know, get to a point where you where you start, you really start inquiring about yourself. I think that is a very good place to be and will lead you eventually in the right direction. It, it might take a windy course. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> cool. Shall we wrap this up? We've been. We. I think we've been a bit over an hour. Yeah. Talking. But yeah, it's been it's been nice. It's been nice catching up with you. And yeah. Definitely. When 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 you uh when you proposed the the podcast, uh, I felt like I could. Let's talk about some crazy shit you know i'm happy i'm happy you did because otherwise you know my listeners who are behind the fast food joint next to the dumpster having a cigarette would not be listening anymore so i'm very happy you did <laughs> and i hope that you know either either you'll be able to come here or i'll be over to go there soon um because you know how how's the traveling situation in the u.s I mean, the, U the U.S. is, uh, you know, we don't, as I said, you know, before we, before I started recording this inter interview, um, the U.S. has different levels of belief in COVID. And so depending on where you are and where your level of belief lies, <laughs> some places are easier to get to and out of and other places are harder to get to and out of. Um, but in general, like, I would say that in the United States, our idea of lockdown is very different than other countries' idea of lockdown. And we are a much more, we are much more permissible 
about travel and things like that. Um, and we have seen uh, the effect of that, which has not been pleasant. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we do lead the world in death. So there, that's just how it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but once, uh, once the yoga shala is, is, is ready here, you'll probably be getting a message from me. Please. Because I've been thinking of maybe organizing something for me, but I feel like if, if I try to organize and teach at the same time, it's like I'll not end up giving my best on any of them. But if I can do my best organizing and then have somebody else doing their best teaching, and if someone like, can organize for me, oh my God, I don't care how much money you take. Like, seriously, I, I, I can't with the organizing. So yeah. please, <laughs> I'll come and I'll work for peanuts. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you can travel. Yes, exactly. As long as I can be somewhere warm and sunny. That's all I need. Okay. And see whales again, you know? Yeah, I remember that. Cool. Well. Let's sign off then, and uh, great to see you, and I, I really hope to see you soon. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation, Michael.